If you have a Bible with you, we'll be looking at John chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 1 through 18 this morning, and I'm going to read verses, um, or 11 through 18, I'm going to read verses 1 through 18 though. So hear the word of God. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went to the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. That's one of my favorite lines in the Gospel of John, because the author wrote that. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, and he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not head, not lying with the linen, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, I do pray this morning that you would come and open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that you would make your resurrection uh, both clear in our sight and glorious. I pray that you would attend uh, my sermon by your spirit. I pray that you'd not only anoint my words, but you would anoint the ears that hear them. I pray that you would be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen and amen. Well, people often ask me, if you're, if you're not a member here, if you don't attend often, uh, before long, you'll hear something probably about Bigfoot or, or some other cryptid. And people have asked, like, Tommy, when did you become interested in things like Bigfoot or vampire lore or werewolves and things like that? How do you know so much about these? When, when did that all start? And I can tell you exactly when it started. It started in 1974 with the first episode of Kolchak, the Night Stalker. As a little kid, Kolchak was this intrepid reporter. If you remember, if, well, if you're as old as me, you'll remember. If you're not, you won't. But basically, he was this reporter who somehow had, the, he, he was constantly getting into to jams with things like vampires and werewolves and, and creepy swamp creatures and big feet and things like that. Why? 
Why was he? And in fact, by the way, Kolchak is the inspiration for the X-Files. So much so that he was the founder of the X-Files and the X-Files television series. Darren McGavin. And so he would always be going after these like weird creatures and weird things. And that got me like interested as well. And what made him different? Why was he so often involved in these things and other people weren't? And the answer is simply he was looking for it. He worked for it. He was looking for it. If someone, if he saw something that was odd, he worked harder than everyone else. He researched more. And by the way, this was before Google. He had to actually go talk to people. And he would run down these, these stories. And he would get all of this lower together. And he would also try and convince other people of, of these creatures. And almost no one would ever believe him. So, so half of the, the story was about him figuring out the creature. And the other half of the story was him trying to convince other people that this was true. And it was a problem. Or it was a thing. And what that has to do with today's sermon is just this. Mary Magdalene is just like him. The reason, why, why was Mary Magdalene the first person to, to have an encounter with Jesus? And the answer is pretty simple. It's because she was looking for it. And she was looking for him. You know, it's often interesting. You hear people say, uh, as if it were something special, right? People say, oh, Jesus revealed himself first to women. That means women are somehow special. Now, here's the thing. Women are special. But here's why Jesus revealed himself to women first. It's because women hustle more than men. The women were up. The women were up and out. And it wasn't even dark. Did you notice? And the women were already there. The men were still home in bed. There's nothing special about that. I mean, if you came to my house, my wife wakes up at 4 in the morning. I wake up at about 6.30. Guess who meets Jesus first every day? It ain't me. So Mary Magdalene is there. What has happened to this point in the story, basically... Here, let me get rid of Kolchak, and I'll tell you the three things we're going to talk about. Uh, basically, we're going to talk about... It switched on my screen, but not up on the... See, it's creepy. Cold check. <laughs> okay, let's just ditch it. You have to write these down if you want. We're, this morning we're going to basically talk about three things. We're going to talk about Mary's grief, we're going to talk about Mary's gardener, and we're going to talk about Mary's mission. Mary's grief, Mary's gardener, and Mary's mission. So, talking about Mary's grief, right? The big question that's sort of the center of this whole passage is, why are you weeping? It's asked twice. It's asked by the angels. It's asked by Jesus. Well, to build some context for this, remember the women went to the, basically the, to the tomb and Mark's account of, these, of, of the resurrection, there were a bunch of women and they went. There, there was one angel there and he basically says, he has risen just like he said, go tell your brothers. And so the women take off and go running. And so what happens is Mary, that's where John picks up here. John basically picks up with Mary. They've told the apostles, and the apostles get up, and they take off running, right? They, the, the Peter and John take off running. And I pointed out, I loved that John, there, there must have been some rivalry among the apostles because John loves saying, I got there first. I was the first one to see the, the empty tomb. They get there, and notice that it says in verse 8, it says, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, John, also went in. He saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. 
Now, the, verse 8 and 9 seem like they're almost contradictory. On one hand, it says they believed. On the other hand, it says they did not understand the scripture that he must rise. And when you remember what she told them, she said, someone has taken the body of the Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Then they run, they see the tomb, that it's empty, and they believed her story. That's probably what that means there, that they believed that someone had taken the the body because they didn't really understand that Jesus was to rise again from the dead, and they went back to their homes. Game like It's over, I guess, for them, but it's not over for Mary. Mary stays, and she's trying to figure it out. She wants to know what happened, right? It's almost like a crime scene. She's there in verse 11. It says, but, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So the, the big question, I guess, is what the angels ask. Why are you weeping? Why, why are you weeping, Mary? Like, they almost seem like it's a rhetorical question. Why, like, what's the problem? As if she should have known. In other words, they could have just said, they, they could have said, why are you weeping? And she could have said, Jesus was killed. She could have, she, but the real reason that she is weeping is not because Jesus has died. The real reason she's weeping is because of her unbelief. Right? She was with Jesus for several years, right? And for, for at least a few years, Jesus told her and everyone else around him that something was going to happen. That he would be arrested, that he would be beaten, that he would be crucified and die, and that he would rise again from the dead. And Mary believed the first three, I guess. She didn't believe the second one, or the last one. She didn't believe him when he said he will rise again from the dead. Even remember when they went to the tomb in Mark's thing, the angel said, he is risen, just as he said. Go tell, your, go tell the disciples. And so they, they must not really have believed that he was risen because she keeps coming back to, they have taken him, where have they laid him? As if she can do something about it. She is so overwhelmed by her grief, she doesn't even know what to do. Like when she eventually talks to Jesus, she says, tell me where he is and I will take him. As if this woman is going to take, the, uh, like, let's say 180 pounds of dead weight with her somewhere. She's just overwhelmed with her grief. And in this moment, she has a choice between basically relying on her own limited perspective of events or on God's promises. In other words, Mary is confronted with the same choice in this particular story that we are confronted with all the time. Are we going to rely on our own limited perspective on the events going on around us, or are we going to rely on the promises of God? Relying on the limited perspective of the events around us, guess where that leads almost 100% of the time? It leads to grief and grieving. If we look at ourselves and we say, I can't believe my life has gone this way, or I can't believe the country has gone this way, and we forget that in the end, Jesus wins. We forget that because of the resurrection, that someday all things will be made new. Remember, that it's an anonymous quote, I forget, I don't know who said it, but it, remember it says, in the end, everything is going to be okay. And if it's not okay, that means it's not the end. Right? There are times that it's appropriate to weep, and there are times that it's appropriate to grieve, but in Mary's case, this isn't, this isn't one of them. Basically, um, 
How do we spend more time basically being weeping and being anxious about what's going on around us versus actually looking around and seeing what Jesus is doing in our lives and in the world? I mean, just as I was sitting there, right as we were singing, I was reminded of a story that my wife told me a long time ago about Katie Van Bora. Remember, Katie Van Bora was Martin Luther's wife. And apparently one day, and, and apparently she was a little bit salty, which makes sense because so is he. And apparently one day he was walking around the house grumpy and depressed. And so she went and put on all black like she was going to a funeral. And he, came, he saw her and he said, Katie, what, who died? She says, well, apparently Jesus did. Because your attitude tells me you don't really believe in his promises. You don't really believe that he is winning. You don't really believe that he's active in your life, right? Everyone needs a wife who can do that. It's not always helpful. Or at least it doesn't always feel that way. But the point is, she made her point to him. How many of us walk around wearing black all the time? Not because we're from Seattle, but because we don't really believe that Jesus is alive. We don't really believe that he is active. We don't really believe that he is proactively out to do us good. Mary, in this moment, has completely lost that. She is so caught up in her own grief that she can't see anything but that the fact that that she is lost she she is she is so lost in her grief she doesn't even register that she's talking to angels think about that you look into a tomb what do you expect to see either a dead body or nothing you don't expect to see two dudes dressed in white sitting on the on the bench that doesn't even phase her does they've taken my lord where is he they've taken i don't know what to do what help me take me so nowhere i can find him well her grief um, she needs basically to talk to someone who can snap her out of her grief and her self-centeredness and she's about to meet someone who can do exactly that a gardener of all things now the interestingly enough he's no ordinary gardener and when we talk about this this whole idea of gardener gardener may be the key to the whole passage in fact it may be the key to the whole new testament it's a pretty big claim i know uh, look at verses 14 and 15 Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now, people, this is one of these passages where people debate, why didn't she recognize Jesus? You know, some people give a very naturalistic answer and say, well, of course she couldn't recognize him because her eyes were filled with tears and she couldn't see anything and she didn't really know it was him. And I don't think that's true. And some people say it was completely supernatural, that, that she could see completely clearly, but Jesus just didn't reveal himself, like sort of the, the, to the two men on the road to Emmaus. I don't think that's the case either. I think it's, that it's probably just simpler than that. If you think about when was the last time that she saw Jesus? The last time that Mary saw Jesus with her eyes. Remember the women were the only ones who stayed at the cross. The women and John. And the last time she had seen Jesus, she had seen him beaten. She had seen him crucified. She had seen him, she had seen him taken to such a state where, you know, the book of Isaiah prophesies and says that, that he was he was could not even be looked upon. He was so mangled and bloodied and, and disgusting and vile. And that's where she saw him, hanging on a cross. And then she saw him, I guess, taken down from the cross. And now she's looking at this guy who just looks like a gardener. 
her, it, it is just not computing, I think. And that happens to me all the time, believe it or not. You, you, you would be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't. Like, I used to run a lot on Seuss Creek. Now I walk my dog on Seuss Creek. And I'm amazed at how many times church members or people who attend our church will come walking toward me, and I'll be like, hey, Jim. And they'll just keep walking, or they'll look and they'll say, Tommy! Like they, because I think they're used to seeing me in this context. Or they're used to seeing me wearing a collar or something. And then they see me just running along in my jogging shorts and it's sweat clothes. They don't, it just doesn't compute in their mind. And so I think in her head, the last time she saw Jesus, he was dead. He was beaten. He was bloodied. And the jig was up. I don't know who this guy is. But it says, supposing he was the gardener. He was the gardener, all right, but he was not an ordinary gardener. So how is the, the fact that the word gardener here is key to understanding everything? Well, remember, we, we've been looking at the Gospel of John in our regular series, and John's very precise with his language, and he's very precise with his ideas. So why did he say supposing he was the gardener? Or supposing he was, why, did not, why not say supposing he was the caretaker? Or, or su- supposing he was the, the guy who took care of the cemetery or something? Instead, he uses the word gardener, I think, very specifically. Because if you think about how the whole story started, and I mean the whole story, back to the very beginning, that God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good, and then he created everything, and it was good, and then he created Adam and Eve, and it was good, and he placed them where? In a garden. And he gave them a job. Or it says he placed them in the garden and told them to work it and keep it. And in Hebrew, that can also, those words can also mean to worship and obey. So basically, Adam, the first Adam, was placed in the garden, and God said, Adam, here's the deal. You got one job. You just have to take this perfect, pristine garden and make sure nothing happens to it. You have to cultivate it. If anything, you can help it grow and spread and expand, but just don't, don't let it go downhill. Don't let it go in reverse. And definitely, don't let any snakes in here. And he said, and the only thing, the only command I give you is, do you see that one tree over there, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Just don't eat of it. Because in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And you remember the story. What does the first gardener do? The first gardener, by the way, who's responsible for the whole, everything that would come after him, all of humanity, all of creation, are going to be reliant upon whatever happens to this first gardener. So what does the first gardener do? Almost immediately, he blows it. Almost immediately, he drops the ball. Almost immediately, he eats of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that moment, shalom was violated. Right? When things were good, the way they were supposed to be, that's what the Bible calls shalom, the way things are supposed to be. And when he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, shalom was violated. And it wasn't just violated for him, it was violated for him and all who would come after him. And if you remember, I I remember preaching on this, it is one of the hardest things in the world I can imagine hearing. When God comes and he begins to mete out discipline, and he tells the the serpent that he'll crawl on his his belly for the rest of his life, and that the the seed of the woman will crush his head someday and he will strike his heel. In other words, God says, I will fix this. But then he turns to Adam and he says, Adam... Cursed is the ground because of you. What a horrible gardener. What if your job was to be the gardener and everything you touched was cursed? And it was cursed because you touched it. 
It would be like a lifetime of just sort of ice skating uphill, I guess. It would be horrible. Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. Everything is cursed because of you. But here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus came. Jesus came to undo what the first gardener screwed up. Remember in Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul actually calls Jesus the second Adam or the last Adam. The first gardener came into a pristine paradise and ruined it. Jesus, the second gardener, comes into a ruined paradise and restores it. And the first thing he has to do is he has to get rid of that curse that Adam brought. How does Jesus get rid of the curse that Adam brought upon us all? He gets rid of the curse by going to the cross. It's at the cross where Jesus bears the curse that Adam brought upon all of us. It's at the cross that Jesus bears the curse that you and I actually participate in as sinners. That by nature and by choice we are separated from God. And Jesus goes to the cross to bear that and to reconcile us to God. Because Jesus is a good gardener. He, take, he gets rid of the weeds, if you will. And what the resurrection is about is him making all things new. The resurrection is about him taking that which was desolate and that which had been spoiled and recultivating it and making all things new. Remember the Colossians said that Jesus is the first fruits of this, of the new creation. And all of that starts with our own hearts. Or the Apostle Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, what? If anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Right? The cross is about dealing with the old and the resurrection is, like, is about bringing on the new. The cross is about getting rid of the curse and the weeds and the resurrection is about making all things new, making all things fresh, making all things reconciled and redeemed and restored. That is why Jesus is the gardener. She could have supposed him to be anything else. We didn't need anything else. What we needed in that moment at his resurrection just prior was a gardener. We needed someone who could fix what the first gardener destroyed, and Jesus did it. And Mary's about to find that out. See, we look at Mary's grief, and then she's interrupted by a gardener, and because that gardener, once he reveals himself, almost immediately is going to send her on mission. Notice what happens next. In verse 14, it says, having, she turned around and saw Jesus, but she did not know it was Jesus. He said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Notice that Jesus doesn't condemn her. He calls her. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't, come, he doesn't say, you, you idiot. Look at me. He calls her, and he calls her by her name, Mary. And she immediately realizes, like whether it's because she recognizes his voice or because of something supernatural. And I, I think she must have actually like jumped and hugged him as well. Because she says, Rabbani, which doesn't just mean teacher, it means my teacher. And I think she grabbed him before he could even do anything because he immediately says, stop clinging to me. So she obviously had a hold of him. And why does Jesus say, stop clinging to me? 
Again, this is one of those things where people argue about, you know, maybe supernatural or maybe it was something magical or maybe it's because he was being filled with the Spirit. He couldn't, she couldn't touch him. It, again, Occam's razor, the simplest answer is probably the easiest. Mary, stop clinging to me because we had a lot of stuff to do. Like, I would love to, I'd love to sit around here and hug and catch up and talk about the last three days, but we have a lot of things to do in a short amount of time. And that's what basically what he says to her. He says, stop clinging to me. He says, for I, do not, I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. That basically what he's telling her to go tell the brothers, he's sending her on mission. Go, go, t- go tell people. Number one, he says, go tell my brothers. That, that I'm ascending to my God and their God, to my Father and their Father. You see, whatever happens to Jesus now happens to his disciples. It happens to those who have faith in him. And so if God is the Father of Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus, God is now your Father. See how that works? That, that Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, has accomplished reconciliation with God the Father. And now he calls his disciples brothers. He calls you and I brothers and sisters because his resurrection has accomplished reconciliation. And that being accomplished, I love the last part. And here's what I'll close with. That he says, go tell them. He tells them very specific things. Go tell them to, to go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord! <laughs> right? I could just see her like bashing through the door. She, remember, because she was saying, they've taken him, they've taken him, show me where he's laid. She was, she was sure that he is dead, and yet she burst through and says, I have seen the Lord. And notice how John writes it. And that he said all the other things. Like all the other things apparently aren't that important to her. But what's important to her is that she has seen the Lord. She has been changed. Her perspective has been changed. And she is on mission to tell everyone that she has seen the Lord. Now if you've ever listened to me preach at all, you're going to know that basically... um, Jesus took her sorrow and turned it to joy. He took her misery and he turned it into mission. But guess what? He does the same thing to you and me. That that you and I, uh, most of the times if you're a Christian, most Christians what they like to do is actually just cling to Jesus. Which That's not a bad thing. But I mean cling to Jesus in the sense of like never going out on mission. Never going out and telling people, I've seen the Lord. I've had this encounter with the Lord that changed my life. Let me tell you about it. Can I tell you about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? If we just only sit with him, nothing ever happens. That we are called to the same mission as Mary, to tell others about the resurrection of Jesus. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray this morning that you would, um, you would encourage us. You would encourage us to, to step out of our grief and step out of our unbelief and to see what you have done to see how in Jesus, uh, who came as the second Adam, the second gardener, um, to transform not just us, but to transform all of creation and give us a mission, put us on mission. Father, raise up people even now to be on that mission, to tell others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen.